Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle, and this week Trevor caught up on cinema. Uh, had Trevor watch uh, Salt Lake City Punk. Uh, I actually wasn't as prepared for this one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what year did this come out? <laughs> oh, so I have to tell you, uh, this came out in 1999. However, it premiered in 1998 in Germany. Oh, wow. Um, it's directed by a fellow by the names of uh, James Marandino. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recognize anything else from his filmography. However, uh, punk, like just the punk movement in general, the punk cultural movement, uh, seems to be very near and dear to his heart. I guess he he did spend some time in Salt Lake City in his youth. Okay. So this is probably a personal story on some level. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he seems to thrive in the indie scene, um, being as he's probably a legit punk person uh, that makes sense <laughs> doesn't want to sell out or buy in as a certain character in this movie <laughs> so later good, yeah. on. But the best character in this movie if you ask me oh yeah he's great um, um, so Kyle why did you select Salt Lake City Punk for me to catch up on I chose it because I mean I think the main reason why I chose it is just to kind of dip your toe into the water of um, 80's punk because I want to have you watch Sid and Nancy. Um, but also because I say that this is Matthew Lillard's best movie. Um, <laughs> uh, cause we, Among a sea of classics. Yeah. We, uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't have too many movies that I care for. Um, but I've heard people talk shit about, oh, he's so stupid, he's obnoxious. I'm like, this is a movie where he can actually harness it. Like, this is a movie where he can kind of channel that uh, obnoxious style of acting um, into a youthful person. Uh, also because when we um, we did Mandy, uh, I don't think it's dropped yet, but we talked about how there's a certain scene in there where Nicolas Cage gets to quote-unquote cage out, and, uh, and, it's, and it actually works out very well. It's not a, a silly scene, it's actually a pretty good scene, and that made me think of this. I'm like, okay, well, let, let's think about Matthew Lillard in this context. Yeah, um, I... I can't help but think of them as kind of similar tools, like similar, similar acting style in the sense that they're both very specialized tools. Yes. Um, if you bring them onto your project, you're getting a, something. A, you know what you're getting. You're getting something. <laughs> and B, uh, you should be prepared for it. <laughs> so, yeah. like, if you if you hire Matthew Lord to headline your film. Uh, you as the director very much should know what you're getting into and if you didn't then you're not doing your job um, you're getting Jim Carrey rub- rubber face antics and uh, histrionics yeah. like, it's it's what he does his rubber man shtick can be very obnoxious but in this movie yeah um, it felt very appropriate see I can't I can't watch Scream I, I can't stand it but more oh, so, after he gets stabbed. The, oh my god! It's so <laughs> funny. Like we, we use it as a joke when we're drinking and we're like, "Want another shot?" I'm feeling woozy. I'm feeling woozy, man. Like, yeah, it, he, yeah. I can't. I I can't stand that movie really. Um, but yeah, I I wanted you to see uh, Matthew Lillard uh, give a pretty good performance. Um, so I'll just get, I'll give a rundown of the movie real quick. Uh, it's not super complicated. Um, Steve-O and his friend Heroin Bob, who doesn't do heroin, um, have decided to take, they've just graduated high school and they've decided to take the year off as a, as a way to rebel. Uh, they're going to waste their time, basically. 
and they do so very well. Um, they have a a loft. Is that what kind of apartment they have? Something. Uh, it looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse Park yeah. Edition. Yeah. Like it, it the the architecture, like the actual structure of the in- interior of the building, actually made me think of Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. So they've decided to just not do anything, and we're just kind of introduced to a bunch of people that are in Steve-O's circle, an extended friendship family circle, um, who he's hanging out with in Salt Lake City. This is, takes place in Salt Lake City, by the way. Salt Lake uh, City, 1985. Punk. 1985, yes, that's important as well. Um, and this is pretty much Steve-O coming to terms with this lifestyle isn't going to work out. So, like, he's not, there's no longevity in this lifestyle. Um, not that he's doing a shit ton of drugs. I mean, he he likes to smoke pot, he likes acid, he likes to drink, but it's pretty standard stuff. Um, and uh, his friend Heroin Bob, uh, I, I think that, I know that you said that, um, is it Mike, what's his name? Um, Shooter McGavin, what's his real name? I can never... I think it's Chris McDonald. I think that's right. It's some kind yeah, of McDonald. Best character in the movie, if you ask me. See, I really liked Heroin Bob. I, I always I liked when Bob was on screen. He I found him very entertaining. Um, <laughs> Heroin Heroin Bob, the Walking Paradox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the no, go ahead. I was just gonna say an important thing to note about the presentation of this film is that uh, uh, very typical in the late '90s nonlinear narrative. Um, there's a lot of John Cusack directed to camera talking. A lot. And uh, the stories delivered to us in vignettes uh, from Steve-O's perspective. And it's kind of jumbled. It, it, it kind of comes together the way your actual memory works. Where it's like it's in fragments. It's all out of order. And it's, it's like listening to an old man ramble where it's like, I, I don't know what this contributes yeah. to the whole, but I guess I'll keep listening. And then eventually it does but for the first half of the movie it's just kind of like cool story bob or cool story steve <laughs> yeah there there's a certain sequence in here i think it i think it helps with the story but there was a certain sequence in here when they go to the german guy hugo stieglitz um, hugo stieglitz yeah that actor i just watched uh atomic blonde he's in there as well i can't think of his name something german um <laughs> uh, till schweiger i think uh, when they go to when they go to his house, that's a really long drawn out sequence. I'm like, good lord, just to introduce. <laughs> so yeah, this this movie actually does something that I don't like in movies is where you introduce your characters by introducing your characters. Um, they do uh, it out of order too. Um, oh yeah, because we get multiple introductions, but from the perspective of a drunk person at a party. So okay. Like he doesn't. He doesn't know that he's repeating himself. <laughs> yeah, that's actually funny. I'm going to rewatch this now. I should have rewatched no, it. It, it was kind of. It was kind of clever because it's like half an hour into the movie and it's like, I already met Bob. I already met Trish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like th- thanks for reintroducing them, Steve-O. But, so yeah, maybe we should okay. introduce the characters because as we go along, they they come into play, but it it jumps around quite a bit. So his friend Heroin Bob uh, doesn't live with his dad anymore. Had a pretty bad situation with his father. It's his best friend, and they live together. Um, Trish is Bob's more or less girlfriend. I don't think they like. I don't think they like labels, uh, but they no. are <laughs> they are going steady as it were. Uh, I don't think there is an exchange of um, bodily fluids there. I don't think that they're having sex. I think that this is a very emotional and intellectual bond that they have. Or I could I could see that. Or imprisonment on Bob's. <laughs> Bob's. 
Uh, I mean, he's very latched onto her. Um, it, she's, not, it sounds like she's receptive to it, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the physical element has entered into the picture. She's kind of a ta- like she's kind of a townie. She's older than all of them. She's like in her thirties, I think. Like they're all yeah, supposed actually, to be fresh out of high school. That's another thing that um, I mean, we'll get into it later. But uh, this social circle that they all they all inhabit. Um, I mean, I've I've touched social circles akin to this before, and mm-hmm. I noticed that um, the age range of the people in the room tends to be all over the place. And the thing to note is that these characters are self-labeling as punk mm-hmm. slash anarchist. Yeah. And part of being punk anarchist is not liking labels. Um, but the, the thing that kind of brings all these characters together, because they don't all share the same ideologies and whatnot, but the thing that really brings them all together, and this really becomes clear towards the end of the movie, is uh, they're all outcasts. Mm-hmm. Like They're all outsiders. They're all just misfits, basically. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, she is a little bit older. She's also a business owner, so yes. she's actually doing something with her life. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mark, I think, uh, at one point even remarks that he's the oldest guy in the room and he's probably like 40 if if that i would say yeah um and then uh jason siegel's characters oh uh, yeah i forget just, he's in he, here he's just graduating from high school whereas bob <laughs> bob and steve are both college graduates by the way oh they're college graduates oh that's <laughs> yeah. right they decided not but to jason siegel is like four years behind them so we have a very young person we have full-grown adults we have business owners we have shithead college graduates it's a very wide range of ages that's why they're rebelling i forgot but then why do they have to oh because they have to go to uh the next state over to get alcohol that isn't less than like five percent or or that isn't less than like 0.5 percent i thought it was because they were underage no it's because the alcohol sucks there um yeah so we got bob we got trish they're hooked up Mm -hmm. uh steve-o has a, a regular lady a regular lady, not a not like a official girlfriend, but just a lady that he, like he fools around with. They don't like labels, you know. They have a thing. They have an arrangement. <laughs> they have an arrangement. Uh, part parts of this movie felt very relevant to 2018 because you know I I have friends who have these arrangements and I've I've seen similar results to what happens with the two of them <laughs> as a no. result of it. But Sandy, uh, oh Sandy, Sandy has yes. a thing about yeah she has a thing about death. Um, not sure that's healthy, but okay. <laughs> and yeah, J- Jason Siegel's like their their nerdy buddy who we don't learn until the end of the movie really that he's quite a bit younger than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, another walking paradox. He looks like a total dweeb, but he's like the most vicious fighter in the group. And it it feels it's funny. I feel like that's a callback in a How I Met Your Mother. As I was gonna say, it's because it, uh, yeah, his, yeah, his character. Is, what from minnesota or whatever uh-huh. and there's like a whole episode about them like feeling i don't know emasculated like they need to get in a fight or something to prove their manhood and then it's revealed that his character on that show is like a badass an unbelievable badass yeah. but he's he's too good natured to actually do anything with it but then it actually comes into play and it's like he's a complete monster <laughs> also i think he says something about botany he's like he wants to be uh, a botanist he's like those fuckers are like tearing down the rainforest i'm like well he actually wants to be an environmental <laughs> yeah, that's right. he's like an environmental lawyer yeah. on that show so yeah, uh, yeah that had to have been intentional i forgot about that um so yeah we can we can dive into the story here uh yeah 
that that's pretty much our, our main group but it, everything's going to center around steve-o and bob um yeah, I'm, I'm sorry i want to i want to do the introduction to the film okay um, go for it so like first scene i think is just narration over black just steve-o rambling about hating rednecks because they're everything that is america and you know fuck america (laughs) (laughs) and then we just get a couple of uh, you know good old boys drinking out at the truck and uh steve-o and bob run up behind him and start beating on him with some two by fours and like pipes and then they run off direct to the camera and uh sex and violence (laughs) for three minutes Do you know who sings this song? No, I don't. I don't either, but um, the lyrics consist of nothing but sex and violence. It's probably some... Sex and violence. It's probably some underground... uh, Sex and violence! (laughs) It's probably probably some underground... uh, Probably some underground punk band from the 80s that never made it big but like they were a huge influence on like these other bands but like they never really made it uh probably one of those well they wouldn't be punk if they made it exactly (laughs) Uh, it's actually it's performed by the exploited that is the name of the band very appropriate the name of the song is called sex and violence i thought it was violence (laughs) and sex kyle (laughs) i could be wrong (laughs) yeah that um that cuts that plays over the opening credits which are kind of cute a uh, very punk rock in their aesthetic where it's it's a lot of like paper cuttings and like uh, collages it, look, it looks like something that's handmade slash done in ms paint or something mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just weird weird images some stuff that actually appears later in the film like there's a lot of uh, reagan with swastikas on his face yeah it's 1985 and anyway um i think that brings us directly to like introducing heroin bob yeah so heroin bob got his name uh because he's afraid of needles uh he doesn't do heroin um now i'm gonna go ahead and say this real quick heroin bob the character bob he's mentally ill um he he needs treatment uh he's got some problems especially when he drinks um he's violent but not towards people he's just violent towards himself i guess is the the way to look at it self-destructive a little bit so i is this where he uh he punches a mirror if i'm not mistaken yeah um steve-o uh who as we mentioned serves as the narrator and our guide throughout the entire story he's gonna be breaking our story is framed from his perspective narrating and breaking the fourth wall throughout yeah doing the john cusack routine yeah um he, uh, if I remember right, he's he talks about Bob and he's explaining that Bob, Bob, by the way, is dressed like Travis Bickle, from very taxi much. driver throughout exactly. the entire movie. He's got the army coat and the mohawk throughout the entire movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I never realized he's also that very, he's also a very tiny guy, has a bit of a like a Bronson Pinchot face going. <laughs> he yeah. he doesn't look like a scary guy other than the mohawk and the army jacket, so he's very much putting up a front. Like it's, he's mm-hmm. meant to look like a scary punk rocker guy, but inside, apparently, he's just a softy, <laughs> very much. And he's very much Stevo's sidekick in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, Stevo says that he's not a very violent guy, uh, which um, cuts directly. Like his narration plays out directly over uh, footage of Bob punching a mirror mm-hmm. and severely cutting his knuckles open. Uh, and then I guess for the next three weeks, Bob doesn't do anything about the cut. 
he just like wraps it with a bandana and they're at like a like a diner or something and he's paying for his food with you know bloody bills because yeah. he still has <laughs> he still hasn't addressed the wound on his hand and he passes out and they have to take him to the hospital very young adult move by the way because not only is he not going to the hospital because he is afraid of needles also he has no health insurance so yeah um, yeah, he passes out, and they take him to the hospital, and the doctor's, like, undoing the disgusting... If this dude was standing next to me, I would, like, I would move back. I'm like, just let him go through. I don't want him touching me with that hand. Uh, it's, like, green and black and red. Like, it looks disgusting. It's infected, to say the least. I'm um, sure it smells wonderful. Oh, God. Uh, does it smell south of cheese? Um... <laughs> Uh, so, you'll you'll have to help me with the plot. Like you're gonna have to help me with the with a little, little bit more of the structure because it has been a while sure. since I've seen. I've seen it enough times that I remember it pretty well. But the little little details you'll have to help sure. me with. Um, doesn't he? Doesn't he like vi- like he's he's resisting needle basically to the to the point where they have to hold him down and actually. Uh, Injector. Yeah, um, when they bring him to the hospital, Jason Siegel helps carry him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're introduced to him. His character's name is Mike. And again, he, he looks like George McFly, but like six and a half feet tall. I was going to say like 6'4". Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they're in the waiting room, and we have Steve-O, who has blue hair and, you know, has the whole, what, Sid Vicious get up. Like, mm-hmm. he, he stands out in Salt Lake City, for sure. Very much. And, and uh, a steel chain necklace with a razor blade in it i think i thought he had the little the little 25 cent heart uh locket things that you could get but it might be a razor blade these people uh, i know i know he has a razor blade <clears throat> uh, he, he probably he probably has a lot of accessories yeah there's too <laughs> that, many to that count. seems to be part of the aesthetic is you need to accessorize um anyway they're in the, like the waiting room and we have this weird little exchange where it's i guess it's meant to show that even someone like Jason Siegel, who uh, aesthetically doesn't present any like air of menace about him, like he's just talking with like a little girl who's in the waiting room and she's got a cut on her finger, and like the mom just instantly says like Get the fuck away from me, get away from him. <laughs> Not well, in those sitting, words because they're very polite there. He's sitting with Stevo, so she's like guilty by association at this point. Exactly, uh, but yeah, uh, Bob, I guess he. He does not do needles, so they, like, actually have to get five or six people to hold him down, and then they stick him with, like, a sedative in his arm, and they have to put him in quarantine for a couple weeks because he, his hand bred a a new virus or a new disease. (laughs) It's so gross. Uh, they, so, Steve-O and, what's his girlfriend's name again? Sandy. Sandy. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Like, the name just doesn't make sense with how she's, she doesn't present herself as a Sandy. I think... Well, how do you think she ended up like that? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I think I think of Greece when I think Sandy. Oh, Sandy! Um, <laughs> uh, so they go in. I, I thought this part was funny. Uh, the nurse lets him in, and he's to, he's taking um, electrical tape because they're not going to let him have like a marker or something. But he's taking electrical tape, and he's decorated the walls a little bit. He's got like an anarchy symbol. And he just mentions the past, and that woman hates me, or that woman's gonna kill me, or something like that. She she doesn't flip him off. She just gives him like a a palm, like an upward facing palm. It looks kind of like the Rock calling someone out, like just bring it. Uh, the nurse, by the way. Yeah. But this see, this is kind of funny, Kyle. 
because that scene actually happens like 40 minutes later. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It um, does. See, this is your, this is your, like, <laughs> you're caught up in the system, man. Jesus. This is, this is your brain, this is your brain bringing order to the chaos and anarchy, man. Because that's the thing about the narrative in this movie is that it's presented non-linear. Um, so in, in sequence, that scene would probably come next. Mm. It actually happens much later. Um, what actually comes right right after uh, Bob being sedated is uh, Steve-O like, reminiscing about the nature of Bob and how he he and Bob like spent their immediate like post-college days together. I think actually when they were in college, because uh, I think they were on the campus grounds when they had yeah. this conversation. But it's basically Steve-O like, tripping on acid, laying on a rock like in, in the red square of the campus, and Bob just pacing around telling him about the evils of drugs. Yeah. And and how it's like, it'll mess you up. And, like, the way this shit is cut together, it's, like, very MTV montage style, where it's just, like, jump cut after jump cut after jump cut. And from the perspective of someone who's tripping on acid, I'm guessing that's pretty accurate. <laughs> or it's just, like, word salad being thrown at him. And also, Bob is rambling. Like, yeah, Bob's Bob. Bob rambling. has no fucking clue what he's yelling about. <laughs> you know what I think, Bob? I think chemistry's the wrong fucking major for you. Like, <laughs> but yeah, this this uh this leads to a story, a tangent that uh, it's it's like a Family Guy like cutaway gag almost. Except it actually serves a purpose. Exactly. Um, exactly. It actually serves a purpose. Uh, this is a the story about Sean mm-hmm. and the acid incident. Uh, do you remember the story? Heartthrob Devin Sawa uh, from that stupid movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas where there's a bear. Um, <laughs> and Idle Hands, which is one of the worst movies I've ever had to sit through. Oh, I never saw that, but it's I remember it being advertised. It's, that was like Seth Green. I, he's he might Jessica Alba is in I there. Think, yeah, I think Seth Green's like a supporting member. It's of that very guy. possible. Um, Party monster, put a pin in that. Uh, well, so yes, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, have you seen that? No, but I've heard oh, of it. It's a it's an interesting little thing there. Um, <laughs> it's it, a thing. I had a nightmare after watching it, but uh, oh no. <laughs> so Devin Sawa has. Um, very very spiky hair almost like very very tall spiky hair and he's talking to a dude that looks kind of like Keanu Reeves it's the guy who looks like Keanu Reeves from um, Independence Day Um, he's uh, Randy Quaid's oldest son from uh, Independence Day (laughs) hey Miguel (laughs) yeah not not Keanu Reeves Um, he is yeah he's a mod now mods are the like Greece Uh, these are the uh, what's that stupid movie ah the outsiders. Outsiders, thank you. So, same idea as the outsiders. You've got your the squares. Yeah, socias. You got your squares, and the, the, he's he's a part of the square group. They all ride mopeds, which I find very funny. Um, they're all they're all wearing suits. They're all dressed really nice. But this one, there's the the one person from that group that shares a common interest with Devin Sawa. They're also also their mom drives them to soccer practice apparently. Yeah, um, I love the way that conversation ended. That your mom's still driving us to soccer practice. Uh. <laughs> well, and this is right after like they, another member of the mods like lashes out at, yeah. at Devin Sawa and is like threatening to like fight him or something, and then immediately after they do this drug deal for acid or whatever, 
Uh, like Devin Sawa's parting words are like, "Oh, your mom's driving us to soccer practice, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> it's like, uh, "Yep, yeah, bunch of young idiots." <laughs> well, the story is is that Devin Sawa has a whole lot of uh, acid in his pants, and uh, security guard from around there kind of puts it together. Devin Sawa is you know a bright red convertible. Uh, Corvette speeding down the highway like he's obviously going to get some attention from the authorities <laughs> uh, so the security guard's like hey fuck get over here and Devin Sawa uh, starts running he's in much better shape as we've learned he plays soccer um, but he runs through a field <laughs> that has or an area that has sprinklers and the sprinklers um, get the acid wet um, if you don't know anything about acid uh, it's dissolved through your bloodstream you put a little tab of it on your tongue uh, I don't. I think this is possible. Um, I'm not sure if it. I'm not sure if it is or not. But I think this is actually possible. That you can actually. I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be the last person to ask about this stuff. But I. I think it is. I think it does work this way. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's absorbed through the skin. If it's if it's wet, if you just set it on your skin, it's probably not gonna do anything. But if it's wet, it's very possible it can be absorbed through your skin. So maybe in just a little dose, it wouldn't be bad. But he has a shit ton of it, so he basically has an overload, like way too much. <laughs> um, and he, they cut to he's back at his house, um, and. He's talking to his mother. <laughs> this is a funny scene. Um, it was. It was. Uh, he starts, like, chasing after his mom with a knife. Like, he's hallucinating. He's like, S- the devil's going to get me. He thinks she's a bull. <sighs> As in the animal bull. Uh, because she's wearing a flower print dress with a... It is 1985. Yeah. Uh, it has very pointy shoulder pads in it. And he interprets this as a bull in the kitchen. So yeah, he has a uh, he has a very large knife that he's chasing her around the kitchen with. Uh, we get some really snappy editing here. We're pretty intense shot of him swallowing the knife. Yeah. And then uh, after all this mayhem, though, uh, Bob finds him out on the front lawn, sitting on a chair in the snow. He's squatting. He's like he's squatting on yeah. the chair. It's he's... like a stool. It's like not even a chair. Yeah, he, it's almost as if he's playing Don't Touch the Ground, It's Lava, and, like, he's... Well, he, he does say something like that, that, yeah. like, he's in the ocean, and he'll drown if he gets off the chair. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the snow, and he's not wearing snow gear, and Bob's just like, uh... How's it, he's like, <laughs> you how are good? tripping balls! So, yeah, then the uh, the authorities show up, and they take him away, and, uh, that that's where Matthew Lillard... He's, he tells Matthew Lillard, uh, Bob's been telling him this story, he's like, you got. You can't be touching that stuff, man. He's like Bob. Maybe chemistry's not the best major for you because this is the stuff you're gonna be worried about. Yeah. Um, and you know, Bob. Bob clearly has a thing about substance abuse, but you know, mm-hmm. he's not very good about managing that, at least in terms of booze. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. My there are two really good scenes. One that's really funny, and then one that's very emotional. And mm. the funny one is the when we get to the to the store out. When they go to buy beer, the Mickey's. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. dude. Every time. Good. Every time. The whole scene is just hilarious. Um So who we get who do we meet now? Uh Um, I think the Bob and Quarantine scene happens after the story. Okay. Um but if I remember right, this is when we get to meet Steve O's parents. And this Chris McDonald was He's great. 
Oh, man, he was my favorite part of this movie. Every scene he was in, I was just like, oh, my God, this guy's awesome. He does that. He, he steals it. He uh, does. Shooter McGavin is not one to fuck with. Like he will steal your thunder. I don't think we meet. Do we meet? We don't meet his mom until he's having that scene where they're telling him that they're proud of him or whatever. No, that's the that's the scene. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so, basically, this is Steve-O rolling us even further back in time uh, to when he's just graduating high school. Mm-hmm. And now he had, at this point in his life, he had just a gigantic mohawk. Huge. Like a gigantic blue mohawk. And we're talking gigantic. Like, it's flopping around so savagely that, like, you can see the bald cap on his head, like, pulling at his temples. It looks kind of goofy. So, like, you know, this this is, like, him in, like, at the height of his punkness, I guess. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, So we have a classic conversation here where it's it's a high-powered attorney father and a new age hippie mother divorced by divorced the way. by the way very important <laughs> um <laughs> it kind of spells out to you how this punk fella became a punk fella yeah um it's so the two of them sitting him down and uh trying to con- trying to guide him in his life like his the next big epoch in his life like you just graduated high school dad wants you to go to college but mom keeps countering his momentum by saying like but we love you no matter what yeah. <laughs> like we want you to be free and i love the interplay between the parents here yeah because you can tell like he's just like trying not to like roll his eyes and just be like shut up <laughs> like at this point it, it appears though he's been a later in later in the years divorcee child uh, like he's it's happened yeah. within middle school or high school um yeah. i don't know what that does to you i don't know what that does to you emotionally uh i don't know how that i come i come from a my parents divorced when i was like five so it's just always been that way so i'm pretty sure at this point he's already had to deal with enough that he's just just he's just putting it out at this point clearly well well i'd imagine it leads to a little bit of disillusionment maybe some trust issues um would kind of make sense that the, the gal that you shack up with you have a arrangement with because uh, nothing is permanent and everything's bullshit, uh, according to the punk philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> punk anar- pan- punk anarchist. Oh, philosophy. we we should um, mention Stevo's philosophy at some point. Uh, uh yeah, I'm, I'm I might have to de- defer to you on that because he he has too many words. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, he does. I, I get the I get the broad strokes, but some of these montages it's just like oh my god like i've been to college i heard all this before but i i blocked it out yeah <laughs> um i i love uh i think one of the first things that christopher mcdonald says to him uh when that scene starts is he's like you you graduated high school thank god <laughs> <laughs> just the timing <laughs> perfect and uh when that scene ends um by the way, uh, Steve-O has a major outburst at the end of the scene. Yeah. Where his dad is an attorney, and he's very well-spoken, and he uh, presents a very good case as to why he should go to school and, you know, make something of himself. And uh, Steve-O pops up out of his chair and starts, you know, gesticulating and shouting at both of his parents, saying, like, was it, like, truth and love are bullshit because look at you, your, your marriage dissolved so clearly like honesty and love don't exist like it's all it's all bullshit man yeah it's it's that kind of speech and 
the two his two parents just kind of have to you know take it because he's not wrong on that point but at the same time it's like this is a young man that probably needs some guidance but he's not ready to he's listen. not ready for it uh, but the way this scene concludes is like he stomps out of the room mom says like oh he's just like his dad and his dad's like yeah he's gonna be a great attorney <laughs> but yeah like the mom's like yeah he's, he's just like his dad complete fucking asshole <laughs> and like, fuck you dear. And McDonald <laughs> just looks at her sideways he's like fuck you dear fuck you dear well no that, I was actually gonna point out uh, he does he does um, he does some uh, he does some lawyering there he's like well it actually doesn't work yeah so well I was just about to say that's like our first hint that you know that the thing that you're the thing that you're assigning a a shameful label on the thing that you're distant you're willfully distancing yourself from does seem to be something that you you work well with because yeah he does a lot of lawyering and in fact that uh that scene you mentioned in the uh, convenience store it does kind of have that feel to it where it's like he's presenting an argument and winning a debate that nobody expected to be having that day but <laughs> Anyway, I've, I've walked in on some conversations like this before. I'm not going to say who, but I've walked in. I'm like, w- just walk back out. I'm like, I'm not getting involved in this conversation. Oh, yeah, I think I may have been in the room for some of those. And it's like, y- you know what? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a dog in this race. Whatever, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, yeah, they. he basically just tells them, fuck you. Love you guys, but fuck you. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, when do we get... I think we're, we need to be introduced to Trish now. I think she's uh, supposed to pop up here soon. Well, we get a... There's an interlude in a mall. <laughs> oh, God, ba- this is... It's basically just Steve-O talking direct to camera and telling us, like, look at all these sheep, man. There's a bunch of fucking posers. Poser. Posers, so, yes. Huge! Now, I have I have friends... I was. I had friends who were, you know... I, I played in bands when I was in high school, so I've definitely bumped shoulders with these people. Uh, yes, yeah, so accusing people of being posers. Uh, huge, huge in the punk and the rock community. Um, po- being a poser is terrible. Um, yes, he's basically going off on posers. Well, yeah, he's going off on posers. He's talking about how... He's also explaining band- the scene a little bit, too. Yeah, how they're... He and Bob and a handful of other people are kind of like the only real, quote-unquote, real, like, punk people. And then there's people who adopted the punk aesthetic. Yeah. So they do it for fashion purposes and nothing else. And then he said there's people that take it a step further and, like, They're put just on assholes. a faux British accent, uh, in his eyes, to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, poser is maybe the most important concept in the movie, I think. Mm-hmm just the concept of being disingenuous of being of adopting a cultural aspect solely for some sort of gain or, or for fitting in uh, yes or want i want to fit in <laughs> uh to quote american psycho um but yeah this is like our first time we touch on that and i think he ends this rant by saying i'm not a fucking hick yeah <laughs> and Again, like, I, I have friends who are part of, like, alternative cultural movements and stuff, and there is a lot of repetition among them of this concept of not being, not wanting to be one of, quote-unquote, them. Yeah. 
and we've seen this guy's parents he comes from he's well off like his dad is trying to get him into harvard yeah and and he actually has said direct to camera like he was actually a good student despite not despite trying not to be yeah so he's a smart guy of means so him becoming a punk is very much him like choosing that it didn't it didn't find him he found it well, and, and it's interesting too is that they they hate Nazis. Um, now, <laughs> yeah, I do that, know that comes up a little later. But yeah, I believe it was the Sex Pistols that wore the swastika at one point. I think Sid Vicious, not Sid Vicious, sorry, um, Johnny Rotten um, wore it as a symbol. I don't know what it was supposed to symbolize, but he wasn't a neo-Nazi. Um, but actually, interesting. Johnny Rotten is um, a, a fashion designer mostly now. He does. Um, I think he focuses more on clothing than anything else. And he's huge now from just drinking so much beer. Uh, well, but, I mean, I said it before we uh, before we started recording, but punking is a young man's game. <laughs> we all got to go to old at oh, some point. Johnny Rotten is still... Look him up. Look up some of his... He's still going strong. I, I have to admire the guy. He's still a, just a just a bitch like he's don't <laughs> you better bring your a, he's kind of like Seinfeld or like Russell Brand like you better bring your A game like don't ask him stupid shit he's gonna hand it right back to you um he's, he's an interesting guy uh but yeah they don't like Nazis and they beat the shit out of Nazis um I yeah. I have I was remembering that being the opening scene but no it was the Hicks that they end up I th- maybe it was the neo the Hicks are first it was Hicks first okay. neo-Nazis come later yeah um but yeah, it's it's funny during this whole rant about posers, um, like it started to dawn on me that this this story was already starting to remind me of a lot of like the the books I had to read in high school, mm-hmm. um, Tex, The Outsiders, uh, Catcher in the Rye especially, because Catcher in the Rye the character Holden Caulfield has this word phony mm-hmm. that he uses. And oh god, yeah. He's, he's a young man, and it's kind of that don't trust anyone over thirty kind of mentality. Where, like, phony is the ultimate, like, hate label you can put on someone. Yeah. Where somebody's phony, like, you don't associate with them, you can't trust them, well, and nothing but bad comes from them. And poser may as well be a synonym for, you know, phony. Um, being punk rock is just for people who don't have bills yet. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on, yeah, that, that seems very accurate. I'm um, fucking punk rock, dude. Yeah, you don't have a fuck. You, you don't have student loans yet, bitch. Well, <laughs> there's even a part later in the movie where someone's talking to someone and they say, "You should get a job." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried, man. It's fucking hard. <laughs> they say it to Bob. I think. <laughs> I remember that response now. <laughs> um, oh, that's so yeah, funny. We, when we're introduced to Trish, it's kind of a. She's introduced to us at the drunken party, and it's, so, but her yes. actual introduction happens before that. That's what I she's, want to talk about. She's brought up by name, and we do see her, but we don't know anything about her. We just know that she's important to Bob. Um, so we. Go oh, to I'm sorry. I meant I meant Sandy. We we're introduced to Sandy, Sandy and Sandy, Sandy and Trish kind of happen. Like Sandy comes first, then we're introduced to Trish. Um, yeah, we we go to a a punk show in a cave, and, uh, apparently. Yeah, it's some sort of cave in Utah. <laughs> it's a it's a British punk band that they come to Utah to play a show or something, and that's where we kind of meet Trish because we see that Bob's trying to hook up with her in the crowd. Uh, Matthew Lillard is sucking Sandy's face in the corner, and uh, Jason Siegel is hanging out with Till Schweiger, 
uh, Till Schweiger being Mark, the East German fellow, their East oh, yeah. German drug dealer friend. <laughs> yeah. If you want to cut, I think a good five, you could trim five minutes out of this movie with, with like just taking out that whole montage, that whole that whole scene with him. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. Oh, we'll get to that. But um, he he has he has a fun line here uh, at the show where he's talking to Mike uh, Jason Siegel and he throws this line out there. I don't understand you Americans. You're always looking for pain. Mm-hmm. And in his very Till Schweiger way. I don't understand you Americans. You're always looking for pain. Bob, I like this is where Bob just looks back at him. Like, <laughs> what the fuck or, you say? Or I think he says something about Trish. Like she's weird or something. He just like looks back at him and he's like, I gotta go. He's like, I gotta go into the music. This this show looks awesome, by the way. Um, but I wanted to mention Sandy. Uh, she's interesting because she is... Some of the things she says to Steve-O, she's holding him back. She's kind of stoking the fire of his not wanting to move forward. She's kind of keeping him back. Like, when eventually she cheats on him, she's like, quit being a pussy. Like, like he's like, why are you being like this? Um, and she actually introduces herself by saying, if you were our man, you'd fuck me right here. Like, they just start going at it, like, during this show. Um, well, I think she was yelling at someone else before Steve-O, and he was just the one who jumped on her. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, so Bob, th- I like this scene because Bob is like getting into it. This show looks like a lot of fun. He's fucking getting into it, and uh, <laughs> he somehow does. He, he ends up on uh, the stage, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which he is com- It's very common. There's a band I like called The Chariot. They they're very chaotic, and they definitely had fans running on stage and jumping off like a lot, a lot. Um, that that's basically what happens with uh, Bob and the security guard. I guess they're not used to Americans. Uh, American way of uh, punk shows the security guard comes up and just starts whooping his ass Uh, yeah this security this bouncer by the way it's like uh, apparently he never watched Roadhouse it's like you gotta be nice first man yeah there's there there's a progression that has to happen and not only that he's like he didn't he didn't go to like police training or whatever because he just starts slugging him in the stomach like, Do- like there's no jujitsu or holds or anything it's just like whap <laughs> I, I want to tell you a, a quick story don't if you ever go to a show at El Corazon in Seattle do not fuck around those security guards will lay you out um, I actually one of the security guard ladies uh, we went to warp tour the same year uh, and she was in the pit. I was on the front, like on the back end of it, like where everybody's at. I'm just trying to watch the show because that's the coolest place to be with the most air. Um, and she ended up hitting me in the face because I was in the way. I was in the way. I shouldn't have been right there. Um, she was real apologetic. She was nice. I saw her the next year. Some dude lit a joint uh, next to us, and there's a bunch of kids. Like, there's a lot of young people at this show. So she's like, "Oh, it's real fucking cool, man. Smoking weed around kids. Put it out." And he's like, "No." So she punched it out of his mouth. Uh, so I'd seen her a couple times in Seattle, which is funny. She's she lives in Seattle. I've seen her getting off a bus. I'm like, "Oh, that's that chick who hit me in the face and punched that other guy." <laughs> So I go to a show at El Corazon, and she's a fucking bouncer. Like, she's security at that place. Uh, she's not a super big chick. Like, she wasn't super big, but she could throw her fucking weight. But I remember it got out of hand at one point, and um, she dropped one of the other security guards on accident. Like, whatever, just look over. She hit him in the throat thinking it was somebody trying to get her. And 
he was like doing the Bam Bam Bigelow and Major Pain like, like can't breathe and she's like all like like patting him on the back like oh my god I'm so sorry so if you ever go to Seattle and you go to a show at El Corazon you do not act a fool because they will they will take care of you yeah there's a one in five chance you will be struck yeah. <laughs> this guy could have worked at El Corazon <laughs> I saw them take um, a kid who weighed maybe 130 pounds he was hanging from the rafters as soon as he hit the ground, a linebacker just took him and, like, like blocking sled pushed him through the door in the back, like, just straight through the crowd. Jeez, man. Yeah. These, They're not these fucking around. to watch Roadhouse. <laughs> but then again, El Corazon's a small I mean, that venue. That should be a mandatory training for a bouncer. you got to watch Roadhouse. It's a small venue, and there's some pretty rowdy shows that happen, so they, guess, they can't fuck around. I but, you know, like, hitting folks is mm. not, that's not step one. Like... <sighs> Step step one is restrain. Yeah. Step two is hit. <laughs> Not at El Corazon. <laughs> Not at El Corazon. <laughs> oh man, you gotta fight fire with fire. Um, uh, speaking of which, um, we get a fun moment here where Mike Jason Siegel uh, takes his glasses off and hands them to Ugo Stieglitz. Yeah. And says, "I gotta go take care of something," <laughs> and he charges the stage and starts beating the shit out of the bouncer. Yeah. Uh, which then leads to Matthew Lower charging the stage and just hitting a random person because there's only really one combatant involved and two guys are on him already so he's just like what why not everybody gets a taste um and then we're all hanging out at like some like quiet just like hangout with the band and everybody's we're cool <laughs> we're, we're back at trish's and that uh bob was actually talking to the lead singer and he's like so like what did you think of salt lake city and he's like, oh, I'm never playing here again. He's like, are we too tame for you? He's like, no, you're too fucking violent. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, both he, Bob and Steve take that as like a point of pride. Yeah. Where it's like, we, we out-punked the, the, the source of punk. <laughs> it's like, we did it American style. <laughs> um, which I think leads us to uh, the scene that you were talking about that you felt could have been excised from the movie. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we mentioned Hugo Stieglitz. Um, I feel like this is just better for listeners because they've more likely seen um, Inglorious Bastards than they would remembering this guy's face, this guy's uh, name. I only know of two other movies, well, three. Uh, Atomic Blonde, yep. um, Driven, the, the Stallone movie about the... Oh, it, it's not very good, but it had <laughs> one of the best trailer songs I've ever heard. Because the lyrics consisted of, We're going too fast! We're going too fast! We're going too fast! <laughs> uh, he's not in a lot of good stuff. And then, uh, I think my friend told me he was in a movie about the Red Baron that was pretty good. Hmm. I think it's a German movie. Anyway, yeah, he's um, a German This actor. character is East German, and uh, he's their drug dealer. Yeah. He provides them with pot and acid. And, as we said, he's a little older than everyone else. And... Uh, from a visual standpoint, he stands out because uh, he's very plain. Like, he just yeah. looks like a normal dude. Like, and uh, I guess the problem with him is that uh, if you want to, if you want to buy drugs from him, you have to hang out with him. And if you hang out with him, he's obsessed with buying products and showing them off. Yeah. So you have to put up with him showing you all the shit he just bought. <laughs> So we get like a, a minutes long montage of him showing them like his new shower head, his couch, his TV. He just got laser a laser disc. disc. Laser <laughs> disc. Um, 
he he shows him all this stuff, and then he he's also paranoid. So he, he, apparently his family, his entire family, immediate family, died in a plane crash, and he was the only one that survived. So he's into, he's wealthy from that. I guess he got life insurance money for that. So he doesn't really do much. He just smokes pot and sells pot. Um, and he he kind of wigs out, and he he misplaces some weed, and he's just like he has a gun, and he's like, "What did you guys did you guys steal my weed?" And they're like, no, man, we didn't take it. Like, it's really uncomfortable. Um, and this actually brings up something uh, I wanted to mention to you because you're not a, uh, a, dr- uh, a pot smoker or anything like that. Um, this is how you bought pot in high school. It was like you – and Tom Segura has an entire bit about it that's hilarious. Like, you went in – you, like, almost died just to go get weed. Or you went to strangers – I've been to a few strangers' places where I'm like – we have to go. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to chill for a little bit and smoke. I'm like, I want to be anywhere but here right now. Like, I would <laughs> gladly get arrested just to be out of this guy's house. It's uh, Alfred Molina's house from Boogie Nights. Not kidding. Uh, <laughs> I've been... No, I, I've, I've been there. Uh, obviously, I wasn't the one buying the stuff, but Ugh. I was in the room. Oof. And it's like, oh. Can we <laughs> go, please? Please, can we just... Legalize it! <laughs> Legalize it! <laughs> for the love of God, children Legal- are in danger. <laughs> Oh you man! Got little Chinese guys throwing firecrackers. <laughs> yeah, because if you go to some place where you can buy weed, but the guy also sells meth, like you, got, you want some meth? Like, nope. And I don't think I'm coming back here. Thank yeah, you. It's like, mommy, why is dad crying? It's like, well, every time Sister Christian comes on, he just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he needs a moment. <laughs> he freaks out. A motorhead. God damn. <laughs> That's that scene with Tom. Tom Jane is so good in that scene. I love that. Uh, um, when he can't hear him, when he has to repeat hey. himself. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 so scared. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there he freaks out, and um, finally they're like, "You misplaced it. It's like right over here." Or he's like, "Or we smoked it, or you sold it," and they basically bring him back down. It's really uncomfortable. Um, so, the only reason I feel the scene needs to be in the movie is just because it's well acted and well executed um it doesn't contribute much at all in fact his character doesn't contribute much but this whole sequence felt very uh, tarantino-esque um uh, the scene in the kitchen when uh he's when he pulls out the it's a 44 fucking magnum yeah it's way, lucille like a long barrel it's like a six inch barrel <laughs> revolver um dirty hairy gun yeah uh He's in the kitchen with Matthew Lillard, and this is all delivered in one take. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a couple minutes long, and it's just his monologue about his the plane crash and what it felt like to, to watch his parents die. And I guess he's mad at his dad because his, dad, his dad's body wasn't recovered, and he wanted to tell his dad he was a liar for saying we're going to be okay. Um, it's kind of funny because I just watched um, the Netflix Iron Fist show. Oh, you got Netflix? No. Oh. <laughs> I got a, a bootleg Blu-ray on eBay. No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't um, get a bootleg Blu-ray on, uh, uh, on I eBay. I got a uh, official uh, Marvel slash ABC Blu-ray uh, printed in the good old US of A. Hell so, yeah, that's what I thought you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought it at Walmart. <laughs> um, anyway, I watched that, and one of the biggest flaws in that that whole series, which is not very good uh the reviews were right um is they have a <laughs> trust the reviews when it comes to netflix stuff <laughs> trust the reviews 
<laughs> trust the reviews. <laughs> trust for the, the love of God. Trust the reviews. <laughs> One of the biggest problems with that show, though, is they really seriously violate that show don't tell rule when it comes to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And so many scenes are just people telling us about cool things that they did and telling us about traumatic events without showing us any any visual element of it. Yeah. Um and this this speech happens in Iron Fist. Oh really? But it's done very poorly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this this exact speech, like a guy recounting the tale of being in a plane crash and watching his parents die. And to 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 see those side by side, I was like one of these is much better than the other. <laughs> um, well, good job, Ugo Stieglitz. I took this as kind of a, a coming of age, um, like this was. I think this was one of the first moments that Steve-O, his, he's kind of thinking back to. He surrounded himself with people, who, like you said, who were misfits, and there's comfort in that. And you feel like you're doing the right thing, you're doing well, and then you start losing those people one at a time, like those those people that you held dear. And this, I think, this was one of the the instances where he's like, maybe this guy's kind of off. Maybe he's not as cool or as quirky as I thought like this that's a serious moment like he's threatening him threatening them a little bit with physical <coughs> violence intimidating them with uh, well, physical like violence said, the, the progression of his character growth happens in in very small steps yeah where you get little hints here and there that he's growing and he's changing but he's resistant to the idea of doing it mm-hmm. like like going going with the flow because yeah even when he's listening to Bob talk talk at him on on the college campus like he has that air about him of like i'm not i know better than this guy like i know better than bob why am i listening to bob but he's still like bob's you know heterosexual life partner yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah this the scene concludes with a mark shooting at bob and then apologizing and insisting that his apology is good enough (laughs) And then uh, he just kind of says, I say we go out and steal a car, which yeah. they do. And then they attempt to dump the car in the Great Salt Lake. And because the salt content of the water won't sink and end scene. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. He's like, why won't it sink? And he's like, it's because it's super salty, man. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, why didn't you mention this before? Yeah. And then in, uh, uh, in true late 90s fashion, uh, we seg from one party to another party. Um, Man, like filmmakers love party scenes. <laughs> like, well, I mean, you can have a lot of people in the shot, and I'm like, just look at each other. Do not look at the camera. Just stay there. I think actors really love party scenes too, because I've actually, I've actually been in a party scene in a, like, not a short film, but just a, a short video. Uh huh. And to see, to see the actors doing their thing while the camera crew maneuvered through the building, was really something. Okay. Like to it kind of explained to me, I guess it informed me what acting actually can be. Where it's like there was no script; these were just people who were told to be a character, and for the next ten minutes, just do that. And then there are certain marks that you need to hit when the camera comes to you, and and you get like a, a hand signal. But other than that, I had to like circulate and just be a character with with a room full of characters, and it was really interesting. And. Oh. <laughs> I just want to say there's there's a part here, and this is when Steve-O starts in formally introducing everyone to us. Yeah, I think this is when he's drunk and is like spelling it out who everyone is. Half an hour after we've already met most of them. Yeah. Um. 
uh, John the Mod, by the way, is uh, Mae Miguel <laughs> yeah. from, from uh, Independence Day. He has this weird little moment where he he just like looks at Stevo and says Gandhi, because <laughs> <laughs> I guess the idea is um, he plays peacemaker between the mods and the punks by providing them with drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he's like in the middle ground. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we meet a couple other characters there. Um, I can't remember her name, but it's the underage gal Jennifer I think it is yeah um, whose brother comes into play a little later but both of them are kind of barely connected to the story yeah she, uh, the, her, her introduction was fun I liked what Steve had to say about her yeah carnivore yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the underage girl Jennifer uh, she comes along a little bit later and it's a part of his personal growth um he was he was mentioning that she's a carnivore unless she unless she has her meds then she's fine if she doesn't have her meds uh, I'm assuming she has ADHD um, something like that uh, she's very manic later I, I feel like she has something maybe a little more severe than that because <laughs> we do meet her later when she's off her meds and uh, he compares her to Ophelia <laughs> which is not something you should compare anyone to uh, anyone in a healthy state of mind anyway. So now, um, now we oh yes we were introduced to Ricky I do believe. Oh, is that his name? You, Ricky? Is that his name? The the tall guy. Who, the hand- who's? Is that who's not Ricky? Oh, the the guy that oh yes Eddie. Uh, I'm sorry, Eddie. Everyone thinks is gay. Yes, Eddie. Um, sorry, which not Ricky. Uh, which brings us to the the scene that you mentioned the convenience store sequence well the reason why eddie hangs out with him is because he's he's a bit of a lothario but everyone thinks he's gay so he's actually mentions he's gotten his ass kicked by hicks because they think he's gay so just by being associated with possibly being gay he's a bit of an outcast amongst the the rest of the yeah he he fits in with this group yeah um but yes this is what my favorite comedic part of the the movie is where they go they mentioned just before just cool. before that, though, when they're when they're in the car together, mm-hmm. so what what leads to this uh, this aside um, is Matthew Lillard explaining to us uh, how one purchases alcohol in Salt Lake City. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was gonna um, say. I really enjoyed this little sequence here. Go uh, for it. Where basically he uh, talks direct to camera and he explains to us and the music suddenly changes here as does the lighting to like tip us off that this is him breaking the fourth wall and like he's no longer at the party he's talking to us now and he's explaining to us that uh was it beer can only contain like three percent alcohol in utah it yeah you can't in salt lake city or maybe maybe it is in utah that they can't get it they had to go to wyoming i think see i i'm not very well traveled so like (laughs) details like this Especially about alcohol, which is something I know nothing about. So, like, stuff like this is really interesting and informative for me. Yeah. Um, so, to, to learn that the alcohol content of beer in Salt Lake City is less than the rest of the country. And the only alternative is to go to the state-run liquor store. Um, the employees that work there are cops. <laughs> and we get, a, we get a little scene where, while they're buying liquor from one of these cops... Um, he just looks them up and down, and just from their appearance, uh, he labels them as troublemakers, and he, he sends a patrol car to, like, follow them, basically. And they get pulled over, and uh, one of the... God damn it, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
one of the cops like tries to instigate something verbally, and Bob of course shoves him and gives him license to do whatever after that. He calls him something. I think he may be uh, a gay slur. I think. He, I I don't even think it was that. I think he just said, "Do you want some?" He's like, "You want to hit me?" And then Bob yeah. just is like, "Fuck yeah, I do." And if I was Steve, I'd just be like, "God damn it, Bob!" <laughs> like, and over this, uh, we get some more uh, like law student rhetoric uh, going over this, where Steve O is recounting this tale, and he's also adding to it that, you know. I know the law well enough to know that we were completely fine. They had no grounds to pull us over just based on our appearance because we didn't actually do anything. Yeah. And again, it like points to the fact that, you know, Steve-O, you look like a punk, but you're you're kind of a smart guy and you're probably more interested in the law than you'd think. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but the thing I wanted to mention about the car ride to, to the convenience store, uh, so they're headed to Wyoming yeah. to get better beer <laughs> to get better booze um eddie is driving and uh is he one of the mods i don't think he is i mean he seems like he's his own he's an independent like he just kind of yeah. does his own thing i think he's like more interested in women so he kind of hangs out with him a little bit for the most part he's going to different ladies houses that's his schedule he he pencils in friend time like once a Saturday, one Saturday a month. <laughs> if it's not if it's, it's like, not if that I, if I can't get any today, I'll hang out with you guys. But other than that, you know, I know dudes I'll like see you when I see you. <laughs> I know I know fellas like this like yeah I'm not hanging out I've got I got something else going on. I'm yeah like, okay but that's he, cool. While they're while he's driving, he's exp- he's basically talking about what we were all just talking about about how a lot of people think he's gay but yeah. he's not. Um and doesn't bother him as much as you'd expect but um there's a line in here where they're listening to some sort of punk music and bob is sitting in the back seat and he says this music is for posers and eddie retorts i think you're a fag (laughs) and then bob retorts well fuck you and then to cap things off though it's kind of beautiful steve-o says fuck yourself you'll get more pussy (laughs) it's just like Yep, that's a young man conversation right there. Very much. Highly yeah. intellectual stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, how about you walk us through the convenience store sequence? Because it sounds like <sighs> it resonated with you. <laughs> so they go, well, they go to this convenience store, and it is a gas station in bumfuck Egypt. Like, it is, no, it is, it is in the middle of nowhere. Um, and they walk in looking like they look Travis Bickle. Uh, Steve-O with his his blue hair and Eddie's pretty normal looking guy a little younger and hip but uh, they go in and the old man behind the counter he's old as hell and from Wyoming and rural Wyoming's like oh you you boys must have escaped from the uh, the asylum over there like we need to his, his actual first phrase is what the hell are you <laughs> <laughs> uh, not who what <laughs> he uh he said, like, we need to call the cops to get you back. And uh, I think it's Bob who's just like, uh, no, we're from uh, from England. We're and we're musicians. And he's not even doing an accent. <laughs> he's just doing his Bob voice. Eddie yeah. does a little voice there. And uh, they, go, they go to uh, do their beer shopping. They get Mickey's. Uh, I believe Mickey's is a malt liquor. Um, it's pretty not good. Uh, you can get it at 7-Eleven for... Um, a handshake, pretty much. Uh, it's not expensive. <laughs> a handshake and a smile. A handshake and a smile will get you a case of Mickey's. Um, <laughs> and uh, they 
they're getting um they're getting the beer and then there's a couple having a conversation like this is definitely the end times now i've been i've been hearing this for a long time i've been hearing it's end times since i was a kid like oh it's end times it's end times every year end times it hadn't happened um but they're like there's never been so much evil in the world as there is now and uh <laughs> and uh bob bob says like well what about nazis and uh, they're like I-, I don't think nazis are evil they're more just a gathering of people <laughs> <laughs> and Steve's reaction to this, he's about to lose his fucking mind, but or uh, Bob's about to lose his mind and like they can tell like they've they've struck a chord here like oh shit. Um yeah. And then they start referencing some stuff from the Bible. I this resonated with me because I've had to deal with these people my entire life and I love how they they react to these people. So in the background, we don't you might not notice that the shop owner has noticed that these pair, these people are all talking to each other. So he's just kind of standing in the background to see what's going to happen. And they're like, "Yes, the the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to bear the symbol of uh, the beast or whatever, six six six, and the mark they of the, beast. the mark of the beast." And they all kind of like they perk up a little bit. Uh, Steve O, Eddie, and oh, Steve O and Bob, and Bob and uh, Steve O just starts like convulsing. Uh, doing some Matthew Lillard stuff, just, oh, ha, ha. and uh, he's like, I am the devil, I am the Antichrist, or whatever, and he pulls down his pants, and he has 666 tattooed to his ass, um, which is pretty funny, uh, this is pretty good, but the shop owner that was watching them in the background <laughs> has a fucking shotgun, <laughs> <laughs> this is profiling, <laughs> profiling is wrong. Uh, and he starts chasing them with a shotgun. Steve-O, again, running with his pants around his ankles. Um, they managed to not pay for the beer, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I noticed that. <laughs> they get away with all the Mickeys. Uh, pretty, I think it's a really funny scene. But I, I think the thing that just does it for me is Bob's reaction to what they thought of Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that comeback, though. I, I don't think of Nazis as Satanists. They're more just a... Gathering of people. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? It, it was it was good. Yeah, they. Now, once we get back, I think this is where um, things aren't going in a downward spiral. But we're this is kind of where Steve is starting to see like more and more that this lifestyle is not going to be working out. So where do we go from here after the uh, store? Uh, so immediately after the store is the. Uh, the Nazi beating sequence that mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, yeah. It's just a very quick scene. Uh, Nazis do come up at least once more, one more time in the movie, but it's only in a montage. But uh, Interesting, real quick. Uh, you mentioned uh, the one one of the girls in here. I can't... I can't uh, Brand- Gish. Who was Brandy? Do you remember who Brandy was? Oh, Brandy was one of the mod girls. Uh, she's one of the... She's the mod girl that gives uh, Bob the pills at one point. No, um, uh, no, that's a different girl. Who's Brandy? Brandy is the girl that uh, Trish introduces to Steve. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry, you're right. Um, she is actually in a movie I've seen with Ryan Gosling called The Believer, where he is a Jewish neo-Nazi. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so she's been in two Nazi <laughs> movies. There you go. Um, um, go ahead. <laughs> 
Sorry, I have to collect myself. Um, so yeah, we, we just get a, a brief sequence where uh, Steve-O is narrating. Uh, we see a couple of guys in full-on Nazi regalia, sh- heads shorn, uh, patrolling the streets of Salt Lake City. And apparently there's a very yeah. small neo-Nazi movement there. Yeah. And uh, Steve-O and the other punks don't like them. So we just get a scene where Steve-O and Bob jump some Nazis. And that's kind of the end of it. Yeah. Uh, but if I remember right, we cut back to the party. And I, I happen to notice there's... It's delivered mostly in the background. But it's basically Trish and Bob. I don't know if Trish is like hopped up on shit. But she is just spouting... Nonsense. Random poet, poetic nonsense. Yeah. And he's all about it. She's and Jim Morrison. She's Jim Morrison ing Bob, basically. She's, yeah, yeah the Jim no, Morrison. She, she has hypnotized Bob yeah. with her bullshit. Um, one of the quotes I caught was, You exist in a world of dreams, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, okay. Um, yeah, my note here says, uh, fucking weirdos. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the party gets crashed by some rednecks. Oh, yeah, that's a, right. We get a cute little uh, editing moment where, uh, it, again, how, how many of these fucking movies are you going to make me watch where the Foot Clan charges in on a party or something? Every single movie. <laughs> Every single movie has to have a Foot Clan attack. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a staircase, and we there's a whole crowd of of guys in flannel running up the stairs and then we do a freeze frame and there's like an on-screen title with an arrow pointing at them that says rednecks yeah <laughs> just in case you didn't know and then we get a really interesting like montage of steve-o talking about the concept of fighting and, yeah and this is what it's it's like existential bullshit but it all has weight to it and it's definitely well considered it's very interesting to listen to um the one big thing that i liked uh, is that it concludes with uh, throwing all of that philosophy out the window. Mm-hmm. Like, all that philosoph- philosophizing gets thrown right out the window, where he's basically talking about the concept of fighting being an act of standing for an institution or a system of some sort. So, mm-hmm. it, like, defending yourself, I guess, is defending what, what you are as a person and what you represent. And they're therefore him as an anarchist is um, paradoxical to fighting it's like I'm, yeah. I shouldn't be fighting because I shouldn't enjoy fighting because in the act of fighting I'm representing a system and anarchy is supposed to represent like a dismissal Chaos. of systems uh, but then in talking all this out to himself he comes to the conclusion that wait everything's bullshit <laughs> like um I would, I would look it up if you're into that kind of thing, because it is kind of interesting to hear him ramble about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and where do we th- go? Go for I it. I think this is where uh, Mark, uh, our German friend, leaves the film. And this is, like, the first step towards yeah. adulthood for our Steve-O and Bob. Is, uh, Trish, like I said, she's a business owner. <laughs> mm-hmm. She owns, like, a bong shop or something. And Bob's really into that. And we've seen over the course of a few scenes here that Bob is starting to really dig her. Like, he, he's yeah. really attached and uh, you can tell Steve-O's a little off-put by it where he's like, you're too attached to this lady? Like, why are you so happy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then Mark just randomly shows up and says, hey guys, I'm leaving town. Bye. Yeah. Um, and and he, he exits the film by saying, fuck you. 
But then the freeze frame they chose for him to say goodbye was perfect. Yeah. Because it's him making this, like, the, 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 goofy... The, the, yeah, the <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Like, And then he, he dies in a plane crash uh, the way he was supposed to, um, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is where um, Bob is going to hang out with Trish. So Steve-O meets up with uh, Sandy, and they bump into Devin Sawa. Oh, uh, before the, right before that, though. Another good scene because it has Chris McDonald in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Steve-O goes off on his own, and a Porsche pulls up next to him. And it's his dad, and he's honking at him. And he hops in the car, and basically this is a reiteration of Chris McDonald saying, like, hey, so I got you into Harvard. Uh, you going to go? And <laughs> I, love, I love the pacing of how he delivers this line. He's like, you have been invited to attend Harvard Law School. Snap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, did Steve-O take the LSAT? Because his dad can't forge the LSAT. Uh, I was about to say. I, I don't think it works that way, Dad. It doesn't. But, it doesn't uh, work that way. Sure. Um, and this is where it becomes very clear that Steve-O is on the precipice of a great change in his life, but he's just not ready for it. Because... The back and forth between him and his dad is them trying to outlawyer each other, basically. Yeah. Where his dad's coming at him with reason and facts, and the son is retarding and kind. Like, he's throwing it right back at him, but it's all just, like, college-age college, college bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I'm actively, I'm actively finding ways to tear down what you're throwing at me because I'm just not ready to embrace it. Yeah. But <laughs> at one point, he accuses his father of being a Nazi. And his dad comes back with, I'm Jewish, Steve. How could I be a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then then we meet Devin Sawa. Yeah, so Devin Sawa, as we learned before, has taken um, a lifetime's worth of acid hits all in one. Um, and he, yeah, no, it is him who says it. Yeah, try to get jobs too hard. Um, he's begging, and he doesn't even recognize uh, Steve-O and Sandy at first, and they're like, oh my gosh, what have you been doing? He's like, well, after my mom called the cops on me, they put me in like a loony bin for a bit, and then they they let me out, and then he uh, he goes into what looks like a Gap or like ladies, ladies clothing store, and he just stands there in his same clothes. Like, he looks like, um, he's got on like the parachute pants too, doesn't he? He's got parachute pants and like a, a tattered hoodie that says "fuck you" on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like handwritten in like crayon or something. He uh he just stands there and the lady's not paying attention. He's like, "Hey," <laughs> and kind of just asks for a job. And she's like, "Do you have retail experience?" He's like, "No, I need the I need the job to get the retail experience." Um, which is the the struggle of college graduates. Uh, I need the job, but I don't have the experience. And then she's like, "Have you ever worked in a ladies' clothing store?" He's like, "Why would I want to work in a ladies' clothing store?" Like, it's like you can tell that he's just lost it. Um, and he he's sitting there talking to Stevo, and I think this is the big one. This is what that really kind of hurt him. And he gives him a buck, and he just kind of walks away. He's like, he's like, I feel like I should have done something. He's like, but I didn't. Uh, he's like, I went and tripped acid in the park with Trish or with Sandy instead. Now this is this is um, drugs 101. Um, when you're going to ingest a, a hallucinogen, um, acid, mushrooms, you need to be in a good headspace. Like you need to be not in a stressful time of your life. Like if you're 
in law school or med school, you're like, I'm going to drop acid. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Maybe once you get out, try it. So they drop acid. And I like this. I like the editing in this sequence. I did um, too. Um, I've never done acid, uh, but I could see this making sense. Like, you're just missing frames of time. Like, how the fuck? Like, how did I get over here? Um, need editing. And he's not having a good trip. Like, he's not. No. <laughs> it's, and the Moonlight Sonata is playing over this. It's This is very much the 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 low point in his arc and there's a lot of repetition and this is where like it started to become very clear that this sandy character is very toxic mm-hmm. um because I, I know they're both on drugs but her mind keeps going to the concept of death and the apocalypse and it's kind of like a nihilistic uh, philosophy i guess where it's like everything's going to end soon anyway so nothing matters yeah um i i very few things in this world irritate me more than people that have that mindset because it, it's like the it's like it's like when you're playing on the playground and you go you're playing cops and robbers and you're going bang 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 and then the one asshole goes and you're like what the no. hell was that it's like i'm superman bullets don't work shield. on me fuck you you just got shot yeah. lay down yeah, yeah. Like, fuck you i got you you're dead Go yeah. touch, go touch the monkey bars. You gotta. Yeah. That's how you come back to life, asshole. <laughs> yeah, she's a nihilist. It, it take, it's not even that inconvenient. It takes ten seconds. What the fuck? <laughs> Her pinky toe is gonna be delivered to Mr. Lebowski uh, before long. Yeah, she's <laughs> Sandy. What What does she say specifically to him? Like when the when the Terminator Two explosion happens in the background when she's talking, she says <clears> something uh, is beauty's the end, Steve. Beauty is the end. Yeah. And that looked like it actually was like lifted directly from Terminator Two. It looks exactly like it's from Terminator like, 2. It looks like the angle and everything looked almost exactly the same. <laughs> Maybe somebody can make a uh, make a cut of that. Like, her talking and then the explosion and then Sarah Connor, like, <laughs> shaking <laughs> on the fence. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> you just hear the, hear the fence rattling in the background. Like, Shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she keeps going on and on about this town is dead. Maybe we're dead. That'd be nice. And... Yeah, Steve-O's not in a good place right now. And I think this is where Bob mentioned... This is where Bob has, like, the like just in passing mentions... They're hanging out together alone in their apartment, and Bob's like, you know, man, like, I was thinking, I was, like, talking to Trish. I'm like, you know, Salt Lake City's not that bad. And he's like, I... I, I Bob is finding some stability and some comfort in his life in Trish, so he's... He's coming to terms with like maybe this place isn't so bad. Like I don't have as as dim of an outlook, and this is a really this is a tough scene. Like Stevo snaps on him, and he's he basically just tells him like I'm not going to be your friend if you ever say anything like that again. Like this this is where the the poser talk comes back into the story. Where this is basically Stevo calling out Bob and saying you're becoming one of them. You're be, you're in, in the act of becoming one of them, you will have transitioned from being a true punk to a, to a poser. It's aggressive. It, it's because you're turning your back on that which came before, where it's like your self-definition is changing, therefore you're betraying yourself in some fashion. Yeah. It's, it's a way of looking at it. It's grossly inaccurate and unhealthy, but I understand where the character was coming from, where it's like, it's like your friend's outgrowing you. And it, yeah. it feels like being abandoned. He's like, oh, you're becoming one of them, man. Yeah, I, I, I know. I feel like... 
I feel like with with my friends from back home, um, I might have been the the Bob. Like maybe, like maybe I'm the one that grew up. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think we all have a friend like that. That's like they're, um, it seems like they're caught in a moment in time, kind of. Yeah, and they're still um, there. Yeah. Uh, I think we transition to another party, and we actually get a really cute transition here where it's very stage-like. So Steve-O is just, like, hanging out with, with Bob and Trish, and then uh, the lighting changes very drastically, and he steps into the next room, and all of a sudden we're in a completely different location. This is Chris's. It's all done, it, it's all done in camera, and it's it's very cool looking. And this is where we get to, to see that, that gal off her meds. Yeah. And she is batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, she looks completely different. I think she was wearing a wig when she was at that party. Yeah, she um, had, like, a, a red wig on, and here she she looks very natural she's in a white gown um she's covered in sweat and yeah just is not healthy <laughs> but uh the reason we're here at this location is because um steve wants to tell us a story about when he was hanging out with her older brother um in the basement of that house yeah they're all just like chris and that scene was weird. <laughs> yeah, they're all pothead philosophers. Um, it, this is this is a, a this is a, a weird scene where they're they're having uh, just a conversation. I've definitely been to parties like this. I've I've been to the ones where it's just people drinking and it's a pretty good time. Other times where shit pops off, uh, and I've been to these kind of gatherings where there's there's a few people hanging out in there, but this is more of a sit down. Like we're kind of just hanging out doing stuff, and he's having a conversation with Chris and. Their sister, their older sister, is just kind of talking to herself, lifting her glasses up and down, up and down. Um, she's messing with the camera. Um, as their conversation is going on, she's kind of like adding in, but it's not really audible. Like she's, you'll catch little things here and there. Um, and then there's um, a neckbeard who is uh, talking about how he's going to disprove that God exists by um, summoning the devil. He's like, I'm going to summon the devil at midnight. He's like, he's going to summon the devil at midnight to see that the beast won't show, and that proves that God doesn't exist. <laughs> it's weird. But they're they're having a conversation. I think that Steve-O kind of comes to the realization that maybe his logic is flawed. Because um, yeah. I think Chris kind of counters with some good points for him. So the idea here is that he and, he and Chris, I guess, make a ritual out of debating about existential bullshit. So yeah. Steve-O's philosophy is nothing matters because everything's anarchy and chaos, uh, whereas Chris's philosophy is that it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, this is kind of the theme of the whole movie. Is that, yeah. Like, nothing, nothing stays the same, even chaos. Nothing remains in chaos forever. So his philosophy is that chaos reigns for a time, but even on a, at a subatomic level, it finds order within itself and then it goes back into chaos and so on and so forth. So it sounds like these two have had this conversation many times. However, given what's happened in the past few days or whatever, Steve-O's more receptive to it. Mm -hmm. So it's like his guard is being loosened. And uh, during all this, yeah, it's, it's a very strange scene because I've been, again, I've been in the room for conversations like this. Yeah. I very seldom participated, but it's it does have that motoring yeah. <laughs> kind of feel to yeah. it where it's like I feel like something bad's about to happen but I feel paralyzed and I feel like I shouldn't leave yeah like like it's it's a weird feeling and it, and it has that vibe to it especially because the lighting's like really red and 
just oppressive and weird. Um, but as Steve-O is getting ready to leave the party, I think that's when he discovers Sandy yeah. getting down to some business with some other dude. Well, let's. I also want to mention that Chris has got like a, a Robert Plant, uh, not Robert Plant, um, Robert Smith from The Cure kind of look. Like he's got big, kind of big hair, and there's like some new, new wave looking fellows. One guy's kind of wearing makeup. The one that she's hooking up with, um, and I want to mention you've seen Super Bad, right? I have. Do you remember when uh, the guys are doing coke and they're making Michael Sarah sing? No. Oh my goodness. Not really. Well, this guy Chris is the guy doing coke uh, in there. Okay. He's he's in that scene. He's also in okay. There Will Be Blood, by the way. Um, oh wow. Yeah, small role. Um, I don't think he <laughs> talks. But yeah, he he actually stops and he's like, he's like, I knew we weren't exclusive. Like she wasn't she wasn't like mine. Um, but he's like, but something took over me. He's like, I snapped. And uh, he beats the shit out of this guy. And uh, well, she yeah, tells him that, to fuck that, off, basically. That that kick was really risky, man. Yeah. Because she's, she's laying on, this, on top of this guy. And his opening move is to kick this guy across the face. Yeah. It's like, like a couple millimeters to the left, you would have taken her head off too. Yeah. <laughs> um, she tells yeah, me, like, um, she's like, Steve, what? Get out of here. Like, I'm about to get fucked. She calls him dude. a pussy. Yeah. And basically, it shows that these two characters are in two different places right now. Steve O's ideals, his, his philosophy is starting to change, whether he knows it or not. And what I wrote was that he's human, he can't help but value what he values even yeah. though they're supposed to have this arrangement. And uh, his narration in the sequence kind of points to him being disappointed in himself. Because he uh, sought it, order. Yeah, be, because he did what one of them would do in those circumstances. Yeah. Because if he was a true anarchist punk, he would have just gone with the flow and been like, yeah, she's going to do what she's going to do, you know? So yeah, now he's pretty butthurt. He's pretty bummed. Uh, so where where do we go from here? So we've we've lost. Uh, just to put a tally on things, we've lost Mark the German. Yes. We've lost Sandy. Bob is happy in a relationship and is slowly pulling away. Now Jason Siegel announces, "I'm a I'm a high school graduate. I'm going to Notre Dame to become a botanist." So he's leaving the group. Yeah. So that's three three close connections down for the most part that'll um, get you too if you're fucking around in life if you're just like dicking around and somebody younger than you is like i'm gonna go do this i'm like fuck i should have well, done something he, the way he presents it is uh he's very resolute in in what he's doing mm. like he doesn't sound like he's indecisive about it he's just like i'm gonna go to Notre dame i'm gonna become a botanist the rainforest is dying i want to do something about it I think this was important for Steve-O because you can see somebody who has, you can, like, an energy or, um, they have, yeah, this energy they want to channel. Like, he's seeing somebody channeling this rage or, um, energy into something productive, something that's beneficial. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is good. No, it, yeah, no, it's, it's a person with passion finding a way to direct that passion towards something that's useful yeah. rather than destructive. Yeah. Or wasted. Yeah. Um, um, we get a really cool scene here. Like, even if no words were spoken here, just this location is so cool. Uh, they call it the Salt Flats. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Trish and Bob uh, with their van out at the Salt Flats with Stevo, and Trish is. This is when Brandy comes up. This is yeah. when Trish is like, "Hey, 
uh, I want to introduce you to this gal, Brandy. And I, I'm actually currently in this situation in my life where I have oh, friends really? trying to introduce me to gals because either my friends are married or they're in a very long-term relationship and uh, I don't know if they're tired of each other or what, but basically they need other couples to hang out with, so they're trying to manufacture them for themselves. <laughs> yeah, the couples manufacturing. If you don't, yeah, we have <laughs> we have one in our group right now, Nate. Uh, he's been off the girlfriend wagon for a while. Uh, we don't need him to be dating, but uh, I don't, actually don't need him to be dating. It's fine. I'm fine with my <laughs> girlfriend. Good. You're a, you're a good person. I'm not much of a couples couples girlfriend kind of thing i like having the third i like the third wheels i like having either it's me and my girlfriend and one of my friends or those two and me like the couple and the friend i think it's more fun that way because when you try to fit too many people that don't really know each other well it just it, the conversation is not there i don't know actually one of my friends was pretty blunt about it and he said it's like i need you to have a lady so that the lady can occupy my wife <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like so you and i can go play video games guilt-free okay gotcha okay <laughs> anyway she uh trish is trying to do this for steve-o yeah because steve-o is following the incident with sandy i guess he's depressed yeah like, visibly so and uh she's like i got this friend sandy and she's throwing a party at her parents house um before the party, though, uh, I think is when we get introduced to Bob's dad. Uh, yeah, that was, very, that was, I was sad. I was gonna say I remember this now. So yeah, um, this Steve-O is learning about himself and the people that surround him, his cohort, and he's going. Um, I think it's Bob's dad's birthday, so Bob's mom is out of the picture, and he's like, I gotta go. Just wish him happy birthday. I think he has a gift for him, maybe. Just, just to go yeah, see it's I. wrapped in newspaper. I don't even know what it was, but he does have a gift. For so we go. In, they go in, and we learn that Bob's dad is. I'm guessing some kind of Vietnam veteran. Some kind of. He's had some kind of PTSD, and he's been just pouring booze on top of his on top of his uh, illness. So he goes in, and he does not recognize Bob. The dad does not recognize Bob, and he just starts fucking shooting. Um, and Bob has to run out of there. Like they both have to run for their lives, basically, and. Steve-O has, a, like, a moment, like, he's like, I, like, I knew things weren't good with his dad, but he's like, but this was the first time I'm like, wow, like, Bob's really messed up. Well, at this point, I think this is around the time when, uh, Bob lets on that he wants to marry Trish. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that actually comes later, but, um, point is, I think it's important that this is when he tries to reach out to his dad, and again, this is the first time that Steve-O's even met his dad, so clearly this is not a an attempt that's made very often on no. Bob's part. He's yeah, mostly estranged from his dad. But the timing of him trying to reconnect with his dad and having a woman in his life, it seems like an attempt to grow, I guess. Yeah. It gets stepped on horribly. Um, really sad scene. It's yeah. very brief, but it. I, I always hate seeing parents and, and children have problems, even in movies. It just rubs me the wrong way. But uh, the note that I wrote here is that Bob can't connect with his dad, uh, and Steve-O won't connect with his dad. That's a good point. It, it That's shows a major difference between their their circumstances that formulate their character. Mm-hmm. Where Bob clearly <laughs> has problems and baggage that were f- forced upon him, whereas Matthew Lillard's character, it's more like he's 
pushing back. He's going against the grain, kind of. Like, well, he I'm, has very little reason to to lash out at, at where he comes from, I guess. Well, he's such a huge presence in this group, but he's also the most normal one. And this is another instance, another instance where he's seeing, like, I'm maybe I'm not like these people almost. Um, well, I've, I've had that moment personally, actually, because I have a lot of friends, uh, and I seem to gravitate towards these people. That I have a lot of artistically inclined friends mm-hmm. who um, part of the beauty of their character and some of the, the things that give them grief is the fact that um, their work pours out of them. Yeah. Like, they can't, they can't exist without doing their, their art or whatever it is that comes out of them. For me, it's like I'm artistically inclined. I mean, we're doing a podcast right now. This is this is a creative outlet for me. Yeah. However, it like I'm cognizant of the fact that it's it's never been as absolutely vital to my existence as it has been for some of my other friends. It's like I watch my friends and like they they get like mentally ill if they don't create something every day. I've been. Me, it's like I I can sit around and watch movies all day or like stick around on the internet and be okay i've been there uh it actually stressed me out a lot when i went to boot camp that i wasn't gonna be able to play guitar like i drew a lot when i was a kid and then it turned into guitar and i would get stressed out if i didn't play my guitar like just one day so the first thing i did when i got uh to a school was i got my i took my guitar from home and brought it back uh but i years of like being a psych major yeah just you tend to work out those problems and that makes that that for me it's like there's there's that existential dread of being concerned that it's like am i really an artist or am i just forcing my square peg self through a round hole because it it sounds right rather than it is right i know what you mean yeah yeah anyway um Brandy's mustache is very distracting. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it because she's very transition. She's, she's very, she's very, very pretty, and she's, she is. Uh, I think she she gets naked in. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think she gets naked in that movie with uh, the the believer. Um, oh. She's solid. Um, okay, I'll but, take your word for it. But her mustache is very distracting. Yeah, but her mustache. This is the '90s, man. You could have that shit. Yeah, but I mean the the way she's framed, it's like the camera's rammed right up in her her upper lip. <laughs> um, uh, she's so yeah. a phoenix. What? She's a fe- she's summer phoenix. She's one of the a phoenix? phoenix. She's one of the phoenix. I'm like she's with Casey Affleck. What the fuck? And I'm like, oh, she's a phoenix. Yeah. Wow. And I think she might be that- married to Casey Affleck. There you go. How about that. Le- less less wow. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, we uh, we uh, we go from we go from Bob's dad's encounter to uh, Brandy's parents' house because they're having a party. Yes, and uh, we get a, a cute moment where Matthew Lillard meets this Brandy person. He's introduced to her, and the the framing, uh, the way these two are framed, um, the camera is rammed right up into both of their faces, and Very his narration much. points to the fact that he's like enraptured with her when he first meets her. Um, he still kind of feels weird about it, but he he can't help but be like swept up in it. And we get this this interesting conversation where the two of them are like I guess spending the entire party together, and she's just tearing him down. <laughs> like she actually like spells it out to him that without without saying the word, she's challenging his ideology and basically essentially calling him a poser. Yeah. 
and, and he's, he takes he, it. <laughs> he's not take. He's doing the high school or like young adult thing where he's just kind of like rolling his eyes and acting like what they're saying is stupid. He just the the facial expressions here give it away. He's he's kind of at like check, and he's just like, I don't really know what to do here. Uh, well, you you kind of got me there. Yeah, uh, you want to um, break out? <laughs> yeah, but Bob Bob finishes off a pint of booze. Uh, he's oh, been working yeah. on for a little bit. He just he. He gulps the rest of it down, and then he's got a, a really bad headache, which yeah, he's got a pro- Die Hard Three John McClane headache going. Yeah, he's he's not doing so well. So he goes, he he's like, I got a headache, and one of the uh, the mod girls, one of the mod the mod girlfriends, like, here, take take this. Now, if you're ever at a party and you're you may not be a pill person, um, not that I am, I'm just saying, if you have a, um, anybody who's like, here. With this voice, here, take this, and they hand you a pill. Don't take that pill. Look up what that pill is. A handful of pills. If anybody hands you any pill, look it up, find out what it is if you want to take it, and then go from there. (laughs) She hands all all the bad stuff that came out of this could have been prevented if someone, if Garth just showed up and said, "If you're gonna spew, spew spew into this." There's our, there's our uh, Wayne's World for this. this episode. We got a quota to maintain. There's got to be one every episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's like, these are. It's like it's. He's like, I don't take medication. He's like, it's not medication. It's vitamins. He's like, oh okay. So he pops them and then knocks it down with a little bit more booze. That's when he finishes the booze. And then yeah. he goes into the uh, he goes into the bathroom at this girl's house. And I mean, Bob's had a very stressful day today. It was it was a really really big step he took, and it was you know spit right back in his face. So. He takes it out on the bathroom. He has a thing with mirrors. He doesn't like looking at himself. It kind of gets this um, rage going. Yeah, it kind of speaks to his character. Yeah. A little bit of self-loathing. He he beats the shit out of the... Um, he's crazy drunk, and he beats the shit out of the, the bathroom. And Steve-O comes in. He's like, calm down, buddy. He he gets starts to take him out of there. Um, he asks if he can see Brandy again. And they're like... She's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, actually, I really loved her response. Because... Instantly, she says no, <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh no, that would be yeah, sure." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, sure. But her her like from the hip response, is, no. <laughs> well, I think it was how he worded. He's like, "Do you mind if I see you again?" She's like, "No." Like, I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just um, love the yeah, like good. first thing I ever felt. No, no. Uh, so they're on their way back to. Um, they're in the van. They're on the way back to the apartment. Steve-O's driving, um, and. Uh, this is where Steve. This is where Bob has his like. I'm not my dad, man. He's like, I don't want to be my dad. And yeah, Steve O's married Trish. He's like, I want to marry Trish. And Steve O's just kind of his. He's in a, like a haze right now. I think there's so much has happened in the past 48 hours. He's just like, okay, man, whatever. He takes him home, sets him down on his bed, and then wakes up the next day. And he's like, come on, dude, let's let's get up. Let's go get something to eat. And this this was a tough this was a tough scene. Um, this is one of the reasons why I had you watch it because I'm like Matthew Lillard's actually channeling this obnoxious, over the top overacting that he does, but it actually serves the scene well. I think um, I don't know if you want to talk about it. Uh, um, so as it so happens, <clears throat> combination of a handful of Percodin and uh, quite a bit of booze, Bob did not make it through the night. He no. died in his sleep. Um, apparently he woke up just long enough to have his eyes open though when he died yeah um 
So Steve-O kicks him and tries to wake him up and very quickly realizes, oh no, Bob is dead. And yeah, yeah he has an emotional breakdown here and he goes through like all the stages of grief all in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, very well acted scene. Uh, definitely gave it his all. Uh, there's a couple of really good lines in here where, yeah. like I said, he goes through like all the stages of grief and at one point he he's like oh my god like what am i going to do for a friend now yeah you're my only friend and so like he's mad at him and then he he mutters to himself like i wasn't ready for this i wasn't ready for this yeah but i mean all the all the building blocks we've been talking about in like all the script elements in this movie this is what you would call a catalyst this would be the moment where his like path to adulthood is it's like it's galvanized it's like nope now the momentum is is taken over we're we're going down this road whether we want to or not because now bob is dead and punk may as well died with him because i think at the i think uh when jason siegel's character exits the film he actually remarks that uh now there are only two punks in salt lake city me and bob yeah now it's like it's only me carrying the torch and I don't even believe in it anymore. Yeah. I think I think punk is dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been with somebody when a very sudden death happened, like like something like this, and it's it's very emotional. And I think that might be like I thought that this was a good scene before, but after having experienced someone going through this, like it's a very powerful scene. And I, I that building up to it, this was the main thing I wanted you to see was that th- this one scene. Uh, I think it's very good. Matthew Matthew Lord can act, and a lot of it comes through physicality. Like, we haven't really mentioned it too much, but the way he uses his face and the way he enunciates his words is very calculated, I guess. Mm -hmm. Where it's like he's putting performance behind everything. Like, subtlety is not his strong suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, his his expression of grief, like, we've talked about this in other episodes it it comes across as very physical i think we talked about it with michael fassbender in the cow somewhere yeah uh when something bad happens in that story uh Oof. we get to see michael fassbender like express with his entire body like a feeling of sorrow and anguish and matthew lillard doesn't nearly reach that level but no. um he definitely expresses like you can like see his his neck like falling and like he's just he crumbles onto the floor and he can't do anything. He's just upset. I think the dialogue is what does it for me. Like rewatching it, it, everything that he says in that scene is very is very concise and powerful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he. So Bob's passed away, and this it kind of the movie kind of uh, sums up here. He he shaves his head, and so does uh, um, Trish. Trish. Um, and they kind of just they don't say anything they don't say anything to each other but they kind of like the the gang is done and Matthew Lillard's like I'm gonna go to law school um, and because I'm gonna fight the system from the inside basically he's like I'm gonna be an adult uh, yeah well I mean you to know the system is to know how to tear it down yeah um, I don't expect he's going to be tearing anything down but, no um He's gonna be going a, to Starbucks. We and... get a flashback here to when, uh, when they're fourteen years old, mm-hmm. and we get the origin of punk, yeah. <laughs> the origin of their their path to punkdom. It's it's a really cute scene where it's like 
two good-looking kids in in a basement. I'm guessing, like what in the '70s or something. Yeah, it looks and, like it. And they have a D and D table set up with like the dice and the figurines and the books and everything. Apparently, they've been playing for a while because uh, Bob is a level seven wizard, I think. Or I've been <laughs> I've wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. Not ironically, it looks like a lot of fun. I don't know if I'd want to play, but I have a couple of friends that. Uh, wanted me to record one of their sessions. Oh, really? Make like a podcast out of it or make like a video out of it or something. That'd be fun. I keep trying to get it done, but these guys are not very organized. Let's get them out of their mom's basement and get them organized. (laughs) I keep trying. Anyway, uh, they're playing D&D and they got Rush playing in the background. It's kind of perfect. And uh, Bob just runs down the basement and... uh, he basically recruits Steve to the punk movement. Like he, yeah. he takes the rush out of the cassette player. He sticks in some sort of punk music, and he's like, "We're gonna do this now." <laughs> like just, just as simple as that. We're gonna do this now. Uh, I do not like that child actor who plays Bob. He's in Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal, and he's in Free Willy too. He's uh, Jesse's younger brother, Elvis. I can't oh, stand that kid. Damn, that's. That's a hell of a filmography. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't like that kid. Um, sorry, but yeah. Yeah, basically, what this scene spells out to us is that uh, perpetual motion is a hell of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you start doing a thing and you put enough time into that thing, it becomes very hard to distance yourself from it because you become cognizant of the investment that you made into that. Yeah, it's like in. I, I said this before. In in changing and growing beyond that you're somehow betraying yourself your the uh your self history like that which makes makes you so it's like we basically learned that all it took to get them into this philosophy was bob putting in different music and saying we're doing this now i think it's the <laughs> and they just kept it up for a decade <laughs> Well, it's actually, now that I mentioned, I think it is the Ramones he plays at the end. It's that Blitzkrieg bop, I think. And he's like, what is no, this? No, no what is I wouldn't have known that. Like, I know that one. Or is it just like, just, it was it just uh, like a punk song? Was that it what was it was? It was just something. Okay. I would have recognized that one. But yeah, our uh, our closing image is, like you said, Steve-O, hair shorn, no longer dyed, wearing a suit. But he's got army boots on. <laughs> I didn't notice it's, that. It, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a neat visual gag where it's like it's it's still in him you know well one does want a hint of color (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, yeah that's slc punk yeah so i mean what did you think overall would you would you ever give it a rewatch if you need a good Um, cry (laughs) i've i've definitely cried watching this before i at the end i i think i say this for a lot of movies that you you have me catch up on uh I don't think I would put it on again, mm-hmm. but if it was on, I'd definitely watch it. Gotcha. Um, I think I'd rather watch Boogie Nights because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I want to see party scenes and and awkward drug-addled conversations, I think that's my go-to movie. Well, I love the editing in that movie too. Just think about um, when they're doing all the coke, like when they're really into the coke. You're just sliding in, sliding back out, sliding. Have in. you seen Magnolia? No, I've heard good things. Oh, you need to. Really? Same director? Yep. Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, I think he's gone on record saying, I don't think I'm going to make a better movie than that. Really? Yeah. um, 
in terms of like story and stuff, I I don't I still in, I think Boogie Nights is much more watchable. I can watch that movie any day. I've seen it a few know, times. I don't know what the fuck that says about me. But, but, it's fun. Um, the, it's the fun real movie. magic of Magnolia is the editing, though. Gotcha. Um, it is it is masterful editing. I think you can rewatch Boogie Nights because it's Mark Wahlberg's like one actual really good movie. Well, we have a movie that you want me to catch up on that you said he was good in. I like it. Rockstar, man. It's it's not a great movie, but it's fun. It's a fun movie. Well, we'll have to do Rockstar sometime because we've been talking about Boogie Nights a little too much this episode. <laughs> it's got me thinking Marky Mark and all right. Well, drugs. <laughs> that's uh, that's all I had to say about that. All righty. Well, uh, thank you for joining us as we caught up on cinema. Absolutely. Until next time. Yep.